I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday evening, folks. (laughs) We are coming to you live from Nonprofit Reframe After Dark. After Dark. Oh, you've got the voice for it. I've been working on that. You've been practicing that. (laughs) Had we done this two weeks ago or 10 days ago, I would have had the perfect voice. The perfect voice. I know. You had that like nice raspy Mm -hmm. stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Well, we are live with some of our Patreon subscribers right now. We are so excited to have them on Zoom with us. Yay! And quick shout out to our newest Patreon subscribers. We've got Chris, Lauren, Jen, Shauna, Kathy, and Caroline, who have all joined us. Thank you. This is when, again, one day we will have those, like, we push a button. It's like the sound effect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You should ask Santa. Well, I'm just going to ask Patreon. That's what the Patreon subscribers (laughs) are going to pay for one day. (laughs) Why are we restricting those dollars? Stop yeah. it. I know. Okay, sorry. Just kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. So what are we talking about tonight? I'm so excited. This idea came to me in a fever dream. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know about you, but we're getting all this fundraising content coming at us, right? We got emails. We got mailers. It's even on TV. And some of the messaging is not so good. Some of it's actually pretty harmful. So I thought tonight's episode should be fundraisers do no harm. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to tell you, when you first sent that to me, I got really nervous (laughs) because I may or may not be in charge of like half a dozen different end of year campaigns right now. So I'm so, I got so nervous that you were going to use one of my emails as an example of what not to do. (laughs) I have confirmed that I have not pulled any of your direct content for this. And we actually have some success stories coming from you. So that'll be great. Look at that. Look at that. You're you're such a good friend, Nia. I protect you from public scrutiny. (laughs) You do. From me. (laughs) But I think that this is such a great topic for a lot of different reasons. But one, you know, as we talk about this shift in philanthropy and how we're trying to be, at the very least, more mindful, but to use, you know, more technical terms, asset-based, strengths-based in our writing and everything around community-centric fundraising that we talk about, it's hard. It's hard when you're, I mean, I've been in this sector for 20 years now. So I'm having to relearn and kind of catch myself because it's easy to fall back into the old ways of doing things that as we've said over and over and over again, it's not that they're not effective. Right. It's just that they're not right. Yeah. How many times were you in like nonprofit settings where it was like, Will this make them cry? Right? Like, have we told a sad enough story that our donors are crying about it? I mean, there are some actual fundraising philosophies like the Benevon model, right? Where the Benevon model of fundraising with events, you have, I mean, it states it. It says, like, you need a video that's X amount of minutes long and makes people cry X amount of times. Like, it's part of the model, so it 
it is. It's a shift. And it's something that we have to retrain ourselves if we've been in this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that example, it's important to realize that not only is it detrimental to our cause and how our clients are viewed in the world and how our work is progressing and changing the community, it's also not good for donors. Like this trauma dumping, (laughs) our, our donors are not equipped to handle that. They don't even know what to do with that information half the time. So shifting to an asset based model not only helps us and our missions, but it also helps our donors. And I think that's the shift that we have to remember. Like we, we're so worried we're gonna we're gonna lose money if we don't tell the stories the way we've always told them. But that hasn't been helping either side of the equation. Well, in full transparency, Nia and I may or may not have had a short conversation about this earlier today. <laughs> and it's one of those, you know, where we're having the conversation and I'm like, damn it, why didn't we have that recorded? But part of what we talked about was that we get it and, and we'll get more into this as we do specific examples. But it's that long term. I think that that's really what we need to shift our focus on is instead of this short term, how do we shock and awe and try to get a reaction out of people so that they give money in the moment? It's more about how do we inspire people and connect with people and create that relationship for a long term relationship? Because it goes back to, and it was what you and I were talking about earlier, all the disaster funding right? And that people are like, oh my gosh, because this is a horrible disaster and I want to give, give, give. But it's usually one-time giving. It's not long-term relationship building. And so now when we're doing these types of campaigns, it's easy to think, well, we just want to shock people into empathy (laughs) to want to give. But how about we inspire them to believe in our work so that they continue to want to support it long-term? I love that analogy. I think you're exactly right. It's like we've taken this urgency that we know works in one setting and spread it across so many different applications of fundraising. And it's become much more transactional. Right. Yeah. I feel like we need to give a quick shout out, obviously, to kind of the the grandfather of asset framing, especially in a fundraising context, Trabian Shorters, who we had an opportunity to meet this week. I was going to say that. Not this that, week, this year. This year. <laughs> who we may or may not have met. I mean, no big deal. No big NBD. deal. NBD. But yes, you brought him to a group that we're all involved in, and I thought that that was amazing. Yeah, he's really fantastic. We'll include a link to his site in the show notes for this so you all can look him up. But he does a really good job explaining asset framing and and really the stories we tell. You know, how do we go from this poor child who needs help to this child with opportunity and a, a sense of their future and excitement who also needs help, but really it's this whole person with so much more than just their immediate needs. And let's also recognize that those immediate needs were probably created by some sort of systemic oppression. Absolutely. It's about equity, right? And so how as organizations and nonprofits, are we giving them the same opportunity, giving people the same opportunity that maybe others don't have? And so just giving them access to resources so that they can use their own skills and apply their own dreams and be able to have that same potential as anybody else. 
So you ready to get to the good stuff? Let's do it. Okay. Do we want to start off with the bad examples or the good examples? So when I used to teach, (laughs) there always has to be a story. (laughs) When I used to teach summer camp, we would do our our glums and our glows. So you always start with the negative and end on a positive. I love it. Okay. Okay. We're going to start with the glums. What's the glums? Okay. So this is actually the one that made me so upset that I had a dream about it. Mm. Like it it genuinely felt like a fever dream because this email pissed me off. Mm. And I've tried to figure out a way to share it that doesn't totally expose the organization. So... You're not going to get the full effect as if I had just read the whole thing. But here's a glimpse. And the subject line was something along the lines of what would have happened to this child? Question mark. This child was exposed to multiple substances, including meth and heroin, before they were born. After their birth, their mother was unable to care for them due to addiction and mental health issues. That's just the first two fucking sentences. Right. I mean, I'm I'm live I'm I'm so angry. I have a hard time coming up with words. But let's just let's just break this down. Okay. You're starting off this entire story with awful things that was done to this child. Right. Right? Meth and heroin. Do we even need to name the drugs? Right? right. Like I also think about the people receiving this. Most of them have no experience with Children who have had exposure to any kind of substances like this. That sounds really fucking scary, right? A baby? Meth and heroin? What the hell's going on there? Right. And then you shift right into the mom. Addiction and mental health issues. You have now fully distilled this person to to their challenges. Right. Exactly. The mother is not mentioned again in the email. They have been written off. Because they are unable to care for this child. Right. Then it goes on to talk about how this organization saved the kid. Of course. It's a savior email. It's a, yeah, classic savior email. You were talking about how, like, we have to retrain ourselves. One of the things that I, I tell clients is, you know, take whatever you're writing and let me know if you would be comfortable sharing this with a client. Mm. Can you imagine a client fucking reading this? Right. I also think about like the caseworkers, the judges. I anybody in the system who would read this should be just as pissed off as I am. Yeah. So now this nonprofit, this fundraiser, has put this message out, fully like dismissed the parents who could be involved in these kids' lives, has put their organization at the center of it all. We are the thing that could protect and save this kid and reduce the entire process down. Yeah. I'm so angry on behalf of kids who've been exposed to substances. I'm pissed off on behalf of parents who struggle with addiction and mental health issues, which doesn't mean that they can't be a parent either. Like, let's be really clear about that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they're using that to raise money. Of course they are. Because it got your attention. Because you had a dream about it. Because it stayed with you. And there's a certain subset, and I'm just... I'm not playing devil's advocate i'm just saying like that it's like well you remembered it right in all the noise that's happening you remembered it yeah it's that kind of like well no what is it no pr is bad pr i don't know whatever oh, yeah. it like no at least it, bad. 
Yeah. And so I get the tactic and yet it goes back to all the things that you just listed of like why it's not helpful. Right. Right. So to what end? Right. So you get a $20 donation, but like what is the message that you're perpetuating in the world that is doing this consistent harm? And so it's hard. Yeah, exactly. Again, it goes back to it may work. That tactic might work in the short term, but to what end? And so let's be better. Let's do better. Well, and we've also talked about how community-centric fundraising is about bringing all different types of folks into your organization through fundraising. Like you could want parents who are involved in the system for this organization. You could want those attorneys and caseworkers. So it's also like if you're going to put out messaging like this, you're you're making it very clear that you are wanting donors outside of your actual circle of work. You don't want people with proximity to the work you're doing. You don't want people with that lived experience. Well, exactly. And I also think about where we live. And I know that there have been times where I have worked for different organizations and there's people in this community that we live in, which tends to be a pretty privileged community who doesn't want to believe that these issues exist, right? So then there becomes this like, well, I want to tell them. I want to tell them what's really going on. And yet again, I think that there is a way to educate people in a more humane way, like you're talking about, that respects all parties involved than just kind of this, you know, shock and awe. Yeah. I have a better example to read. This is an organization. They didn't share a specific story, but this is an organization that serves folks experiencing homelessness and is actually run by somebody with that lived experience. So, I mean, even just that in and of itself, you're like, yeah, I know this is going to be different, right? Right. <laughs> the clients that they are potentially talking about are people who have been in a similar life situation. So simple subject line, help the homeless during Colorado Gives. It talked a lot about like the work they've done, uh, gave some good numbers. But this was the part that I just thought was so simple and effective. We're changing the face of homeless outreach because homelessness changed us. Our director and many volunteers were formerly homeless and understand the kind of support people truly need. Like, how great is that? I love it. Yeah. I got chills just reading it again. I know. So we did a behind the scenes episode earlier today that you have to be a Patreon subscriber to listen to. But a little peek into that is we talked about how Nia is like a She's an aficionado of end of year, particularly Colorado Gives Day, email and messaging. That she collects them. And then last year, what did you do? You kind of like put them all together in a matrix. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. You're such a dork. I love it so much. This year. <laughs> God. Oh, oh, here we I'm go. I'm just like outing myself over and over do again it. as do such it. a nerd. So last year it was emails. This year I've been collecting every single mailed appeal, postcard, anything that I've Why gotten. Why didn't you tell me? I've got like 10 of them coming to your house. I need to know they're going to pass your test. <laughs> but I've dated them all. So I'll even be able to get like a bell curve of when things are hitting in the mail. I'm very excited to share that in January with everybody. 
Oh my gosh, I can't wait. You held that from me. You did not tell me that earlier today. I was not intentionally trying to deceive you into sending me appeals <laughs> that I might analyze. I know. I love it. Okay. I can't wait to hear what you find out. Well, that was such a great example, what you just read. I loved it. Yeah. Like, again, we always say, like, fundraising is about storytelling. It's about connecting with people. This is so simple. It's saying something so obvious. Homelessness changed them. And now they're, they've turned that around to help people. Like, how great. Yeah. There's no saviorism in it. <laughs> it. It feels much more mutual aid type thing. And they're talking about changing the face of homelessness, which is also a really important thing. You know, when we talk about like really stigmatized populations, they can change the face because they're part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So great. Kudos. A plus. A plus. <laughs> I want to talk about an event, some event messaging you were part of. I, uh, no, I attended it. It was great. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you are just like waiting for me to like drop. I'm like the waiting bomb. for the shoe to drop. It's a lot. Like, that's why I want to be so honest and transparent that this is a process, right? And I mean, yes. I talk on a podcast every week about this, but it doesn't mean I'm not still learning. So, and this year has put it to the real test because usually I'm working for one organization and now, you know, I'm working for a handful. So, well, you did a great job with this one. Okay, thanks. So this was a luncheon that you helped produce. Yep. And it's for an organization. I was last at their luncheon, I'm going to say about eight years ago. It, it was a minute. And I was so appalled at that time that I said I would never go again. But I went this year, partially because of you, partially because they have a new CEO. And I could not have been more thrilled with the shift in messaging. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to share some of my highlights. But obviously, you were in and part of it. And I'd love to yeah. hear like the behind the scenes. So first and foremost, this organization serves a lot of monolingual Spanish speakers. And they had one of the parent representatives who was going to speak, give her speech fully in Spanish, and then had a printed copy for us in English in our programs, which I thought was brilliant. Like, we are not going to only have English speakers on the stage, first and foremost. We're going to make you, the audience, do the work of reading so that she can very poetically stand up here and give her story that she's written. And it was done so, like, unapologetically. Like, it didn't need to be explained. It was just like you can find your translation in your program. It was so fantastic. And I thought they did such a good job between her speech and the CEO's speech of positioning the parents as like the real leaders mm -hmm. and their organization as just being a hand to kind of help bridge some of the systems that they're navigating through to help them out when they need it. But the parents were centered as the head of their families instead of this organization coming in and saving the kids. It was so fantastic. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that because it was a bit of a struggle. Ooh, say more if you can. Yeah, no, I'm going to be honest without giving like keeping anonymity, but so when we decided that she was going to give her speech in Spanish, one of the board members who was part of the event committee kind of pushed back on it mm. and said, well, I'm going to be honest. 
I'm inviting a lot of my friends there and they're going to have a hard time if they have to sit there for four minutes and listen to somebody speak in Spanish. And so we had to say, that's kind of the point. Right. Right. Like that is the point. That's why we're doing it, particularly because it had such an intersection with the work of the organization. So there was, you know, conversation in a video that was shown at the same event from one of the clients, I'm trying to be like anonymous here, (laughs) who had said that that was, they were an immigrant and that was hard for them, right? Like coming to the U.S. and not being able to understand English speakers. And so it's like, well, here you go. Like you get to experience just like even, I mean, it's not even fair to say that, but just like a minute sample of like what it must feel like for people who are coming and not understanding English speakers. And so sit in that discomfort and then, you know, use that to understand or empathize with their experience, right? Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is that this was a real shift in how they fundraised. I mean, it's not just like, oh, we're going to have somebody speak Spanish. I'm talking about this was like a philosophical values aligned shift in how they were going to ask for money for their organization. And again, without getting into specifics, it not only changed like the ask, but the method in which they asked. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. I'm not being too vague. And it's going to take a while for this organization to right itself financially from it if that makes sense. So we've talked a lot about community-centric fundraising and changing your methods of fundraising and how you might lose donors, you might lose money at the beginning, but the hope is that you are bringing your fundraising practices in line with the values of your organization and that because of that, over time, it's going to come back to you in spades because people are going to feel that. And those who are, that resonate with that are going to. And so this particular organization is like in the middle of that Mm -hmm. and really having to have some deep faith for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the reality of everything we're talking about. Yeah. I don't want to paint a rosy picture. I mean, I, I am so proud of them and I think that it's amazing and that it's going, again, to come back to them a hundred times over. But when you're in it and you're making those changes, because I've said it already four times today and I'm going to keep saying it, it's not because these other ways don't work. Yeah, no. And so that's what's hard is people are like, I mean, like literally said, well, if it's not broke, why are you trying to fix it? Because it is fucking broke. <laughs> it's broke. It's like morally broke, yes. you know? But everybody's just so focused on the numbers and on the finances that they're not willing or don't see the need to take that risk. Right. Exactly. I think the thing that's happening in the midst there of like deciding to make the change, making the change, and then seeing the financial return is that we are retraining our donors. We have showed them one way to engage with us. We've created this problem. Yes. The way we have done fundraising, the way we have told stories, the way we have put them at the center of the stories and told them that they are our saviors, we have to retrain them in the best ways possible about kind of their new role even. Yes. 
And that is going to take time. And that is why there's going to be this like fluctuation financially. Does that mean that you're going to have like five years in the red? Absolutely not. Like it, it also it depends on like how ingrained some of these systems were and how effective they were at raising the money versus actually engaging donors. I was talking to an organization recently. They had really, really great donor relationships in a donor-centric model. They have been able to move to a more community-centric model much faster because they already had the existing relationships. They could call on donors, have these conversations. They did a lot of like small group kind of coffees with the CEOs to talk about these shifts. And so they came along much faster than an organization that had been very donor-centric but very transactional. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like anything that has to do with fundraising. I keep saying, and it's probably not the best analogy, but in my head, the way I picture it is like a steam engine, right? And it's like, it takes a while like to get, you know how like those locomotives, like they start going and it's like really slow at first. And then all of a sudden it gains momentum and it picks up speed and it goes and it goes, it goes. Like that's how I picture fundraising. Like there's all these efforts that you're doing and it seems really slow, but eventually over time it's going to gain the momentum and it's all going to build on top of each other and it's going to take off. And then you're going to start seeing the rewards from that. But it's hard to keep the faith when you're just getting going. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that the best analogy you can come up with is imagery from a century and a half ago. A hundred. And that's all that's all that's in my head. It's all that's in my head. <laughs> another time, another time, I will tell the story of how my family and I went to Paris, France, and we got on a train and my dad and my brother didn't get off when we were changing trains. And that train started going and ultimately left with them on it as I'm running down the platform saying, jump. And they didn't jump. And they took off to an unknown city on a French <laughs> train. So I'm just going to leave you with that. But that's where my head is. Love it. <laughs> that's where my head is. I'm seeing that train starting to move uh-huh. and my brother and I'm like, jump, jump. And then it gets faster and faster and faster. And then it's too late. So are we telling our clients to jump or stay on the train? Oh, gosh. They get to the stay destination on the train. <laughs> stay on the train. This is really derailed. I know. Oh. <laughs> hey, it's after dark, people. What do you expect? Things are getting wild. <laughs> but yes, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that the organization is making these changes, even amongst opposition and people telling them not to do it because it's the right thing to do. Again, being at that luncheon this year, it was such a marked difference. You could just tell like the entire culture of the organization had shifted. And I was so thrilled for them. Mm, good, 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 good. I don't have any more emails for us to read. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. I do have, I, I guess we, we missed the glums and the, what was the other one? Well, your glow, your glows came from the last two that you gave. I know. Well, I had a an event glum and your event glow went first and that was my fault. Sorry. Oh, mm, all right. Well, we'll all have to pick ourselves back up after okay. this. So quick event glum. I, I really don't like that word. I need to stop saying it. <laughs> 
glum. glum. It, it doesn't. Well, I don't know. It feels weird coming out of my mouth. Is it like moist? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this was an event. I mean, I worked in child welfare, so I'm just like around and connected to a lot of child welfare related organizations, groups that support kids in foster care, that help with investigations. So it was one of those type of organizations in and around child welfare. So, yeah, their day to day work, really hard, really awful. Internally, they hear horrific stories constantly. When I worked in those spaces, we worked really hard to reduce the amount of those stories that was shared with the full staff. Because that secondary trauma is real. You cannot go about your life. You cannot go home to your own children hearing the worst of the worst all day, every day. So that's the context. So we're at this event and they've got, I can't even remember if it was a foster parent or somebody telling the story of this child and went into some of the most horrific detail I have heard in public. To the point that I'm sitting there just like jaw dropped, like I cannot believe that they are sharing this at this luncheon fundraiser. And I look around the table and the woman next to me is heaving sobs, like shoulders up and down. It is in her whole body. And that I, I said this at the top, like most donors are not exposed to this level of trauma. They are not psychologically, they are not physiologically ready to handle what we are are more used to, more accustomed to, more trained to handle working in human services nonprofits specifically. Yeah. And afterwards, you know, I sat with her and kind of talked through it a little bit and and even just like helped contextualize because she had never heard anything like that. And she left saying, I don't even know that we can do anything. Right? So like it's it's also now pushed this potential donor so far that it feels hopeless. Yeah. What are we doing as fundraisers when we are not just opening the door, pulling back that curtain for our donors, but we're pulling it back so far and pushing them off the ledge that they can't see a hope for the future in the work we're doing? Well, and you and I were kind of talking about this earlier, that that, that is also instigated by present-day media. Oh, yeah. Right? So when we have constantly things happening in real life that are horrific, that tie back to the work that we're doing in our own organizations, while that's good to say, like, here's what we're doing locally and this is how it ties to what's happened nationally, Though sometimes that messaging can be so bleak because when you're in it, you feel so strongly for it, right? And then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Like, I'm just going to say it, like Roe v. Wade, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just like, holy shit, like, how is this even happening? And there is that desire to like shout from the rooftops, like we've got to fucking do something about this. You know, like if, if this happened, like what could happen six months from now or a year from now or five years from now? And so I get it. And it goes back to what we said earlier of like that kind of like urgency, shock and awe and like the details. And I just don't think that it, 
creates long-lasting relation. And it surely doesn't highlight the work of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. I think about some of the appeals that went out right after the Dobbs decision happened. And, you know, you, you've got the big ones, the Planned Parenthoods sure. of the, the world. But I think the most effective ones were like, yes, we are under fire. And here's what we're doing. Exactly. We've got 10 attorneys who are ready to fight this here. We've got funds set up to get people access to abortions in other states, right? Boom, 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 boom. This is why we exist, is to be ready in this moment of emergency and you can help with your dollars. That not only ties my donation to something very tangible, right? Like, okay, this is going to good work, but it makes it seem like we're not in this alone. People who are smarter than I am on that stuff have plans. And that's what we need. We need to just know that somebody's somebody's doing something yeah, to handle this when it's in that like immediate emergency situation. Yeah, because I'm all about a call to action, right? Sure. Like I'm all about galvanizing. Let's like bring it together. Let's join forces, but let's do it for a common action. Like what is actually b being done and how can we support that? So I guess we're basically just saying, like, fundraise responsibly, y'all. Yeah. Knock it off. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> and I think we're also trying to say there's still time. So it's December 5th. Yes, we're on the eve of Colorado Gives Day. <laughs> Yikes. But there's still a lot of end-of-year giving happening over the next few weeks. So if you are that really organized fundraiser that already has all of your email messages and <laughs> if you're like Nia, what I'm basically saying, and have it pre-planned and you've already got it like set, it's pre-scheduled, constant contact, knows when they're all being sent out, there's still time to take one last look over them with that lens. And I loved what you said earlier, like, okay, would we actually read this to a client? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a good great about test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think if you're not listening to this till January and you're thinking about your year ahead, give yourself some extra time to be really thoughtful about your messaging. Have conversations with your program staff about the kinds of stories you want to be able to tell as a fundraiser that you can do and ensure that you can do so really ethically. Like Brittany was saying, like this takes time. And when we feel like we're under the gun, that's when we're most likely to go back to those old habits of telling shock and awe stories, of making our donors the saviors of the story, of really putting our vulnerable clients in a really, really bad light. So put in your planning that you're going to do some asset framing, that you're going to review your messaging, that you're going to bring your donors on this journey with you to a better, more equitable community. Yes. And to add to that, it just, I have a PSA for all the fundraisers out there because you just reminded me when you said that I have worked with so many organizations that there is, for reason or not for reason, a distrust between, I'm going to call it the marketing team, I get it. You may not have a marketing person specifically, but whoever is writing your emails and your stuff that's going out between those people and program staff. And every place that I've ever worked, it's program staff who are, as they should be, the most protective of 
whoever your clients or whoever you're serving. And I have just always made it a practice when I am writing something like that to make sure that somebody from the program staff signs off on it and reads it first. Great idea. And feel like that you're having that communication across departments so that admin, fundraising, marketing, whoever it is, isn't sending something out that program staff hasn't read. And then they read it and they're like, what? Like, why are you? No, we would never say that. So just make sure that your organization as a whole is on the same page with whatever you're putting out to the public. Love it. Bringing your values into fundraising. That's what we keep talking about. There it is. All right. Well, folks, you're not hearing this for a couple of weeks. So by then, hopefully you're about ready to go on holiday vacations. Oh, I got your so. out of office ready. You've already sent your stock information to everybody and have you've done your libunts. Your libunts have been checked off <laughs> and you are ready to ride off into 2023. Mm, I love it. Thanks, folks. Don't forget to become a Patreon subscriber for behind-the-scenes content starting at only $3 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash nonprofit reframe. We would like to thank our sponsors. Brittany Wilson Consulting helps nonprofits raise even more money through fundraising coaching, training, and event production. Learn more at brittanywilson.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-N-Y Wilson.com. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based consulting firm working towards social good in all sectors through fundraising, board governance, strategy and planning, and equity support. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thanks for listening.